Well, good morning. Uh, peace be with you. Cool. We still do that, right? That's good. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Marshall Dallas. Uh, I'm just one of the members here. I also happen to serve um, Sojourn Houston as a whole as the director of church planting. And so um, it is both a joy uh, and an honor to be serving us uh, in this capacity this morning um, as we continue what is a 13-week sermon series through uh, all three uh, letters that John wrote to the church. So 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, the Apostle John, upon writing this letter, these letters, this series of letters, was likely uh, an old man uh, by that time. And he writes as a spiritual father uh, to an audience that he repeatedly, even as we just read, calls little children. He informs his readers that they are living in what is the last hour. But by that, John does not mean that the physical universe is coming to an end. Rather, John is talking about the end of the old covenant world. There was a seismic shift taking place as the kingdom of God expanded beyond the borders of Israel. And so the early Christians are facing both persecution from the outside and division from the inside. And so John offers a number of different reminders and encouragements to these churches or this church that is in crisis. And today, um, even though we didn't get to, to gather last week, um, if you, if you read what Drew sent out, you'll know um, that having affirmed, reaffirmed his reader's commitment to the true Son of God and not to uh, what he calls the Antichrist, John is going to urge them and, and accordingly us to strive for both an ethical integrity and ultimately a sense of urgency that is congruent with their new spiritual identity as those who are born of God, those who are born of Him. And so if you've ever uh, heard me preach, you know that all we're going to do really is, um, I don't have a lot of tricks in my bag, we're just going to walk verse um, verse by verse and we'll, we'll talk about what I believe John would have for us this morning. But before we do that, let me just say a brief word of prayer, and then we'll jump into First John, end of chapter 2. Father, uh, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for the opportunity uh, to be gathered together as your people called by your name. Lord, to be gathered together as your children who do not fully see what we will be, but who even now are here because we long to be that thing. We want to be made to be more like your son, Jesus. We long to be made more holy, more righteous. And we long ultimately to experience the peace that comes from being known as your own. And so, Father, today in your word, would you just speak clearly to us through it, would you change us according to it? And Lord, would you multiply the good that is in your word into the lives of this body of believers such that our community, our neighbors might be served by the glory 
that you indwell in us. We know, God, that there is work that needs to be done this morning that we cannot accomplish. And so send your spirit now to do what only he can do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, um, let's jump into 1 John chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to keep them open. Like I said, we're just going to walk through it, uh, talk through some words here and there, and then we'll, we'll make it through just fine. Um, 1 John uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 28, this is what the word of the Lord says. It says this, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame, At his coming, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Now, um, there's just one quick thing I want to point out as this, these couple of verses really set us off, launch us into sort of a new section of this letter, which is chapter 3. And in it, what I want us to notice is this, and I'm not going to go through all of the times that the words abide in are used in First John, but largely what we've been encouraged to up to this point is to allow God or God's word or God's truth or God himself to abide in us, to dwell in us, Right? And we see this really, this is a theme throughout Scripture. There's other Scriptures, um, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, right? We're We're being encouraged for Him, His truth, His Word to abide in us. But there's a shift here that happens where now we are going to begin to be encouraged to in turn abide in Him. So as the Word of God, as God's truth, as God's person abides in us, we are now encouraged to abide in him, to dwell in him. And we're encouraged to do that because we are born of him. We are born of him. And I want to spend some time in that because that's going to be played out really throughout the rest of this chapter. That idea that we as Christians, that if we're followers of Jesus this morning, then we are born of God. Now, so what what does it mean to be born of God? Well, um, in, in order to sort of bypass all of the technicality of it, let's just put it this way. When you are baptized, right, post a confession of faith, when you're baptized, you confess that in Christ, what was dead in you has now been made alive according to Christ's work, that the old creation is gone and that the new has come, that we're new, that in a sense we are, right, born again. And you've probably heard this language if you've been in or around the church for any length of time. But my question is, and the question that I think is important as we set up the remainder of this chapter, is how is it that we have been born of God? How have we come into that new birth. And it's important because John is going to spend the rest of this chapter largely talking about the concept of righteousness. And the concept or the idea that if we are born of God, then righteousness is part of who we are. And let me just tell you this, a historic mistake among the people of God, a regular mistake among the people of God is to assume that it is our righteousness that secures our standing before God. In essence, 
although we might not believe it, we tend to live our lives as though it is our righteousness, our good work, that in turn sort of allows us or activates our bornness of God. But that's completely putting the cart before the horse. And that's ultimately what I think John is trying to get at here as he launches us into this section on righteousness, righteous living, living rightly. What he is reminding us, little children, this morning, is that we are born of God, not because of our righteousness, but rather through the righteousness of one who has gone before us. That great David's greater son that we just sang about, the Lord's anointed, has gone before us in righteousness. In fact, um, the Bible tells us that it is the righteousness of Jesus, it is his perfect lived life that we inherit, that that is what's given to us, that that is the exchange that Christ makes on the cross with sinful people. He takes upon himself our sin and exchanges our sin for his righteousness. And it is because of that work of Jesus, it is because of our faith in that work of Jesus, that we are then born of him. And so the remainder of this chapter springs out of that reality. So anything that we talk about up to this point, the works, the works that John is going to call us to, the work of love, the work of abiding in Christ, the work of loving the brotherhood, the work of stepping away and out of sin and into the light of life that is Christ, all of that work assumes that we are first born of Christ. That we have first called upon the name of Jesus for salvation and truly believe that we are, as we just said, fully and freely forgiven. We are born God's children. And accordingly, we are inherently righteous. We have been made right. And so, Paul is making what, I mean, John is making what is largely an entirely logical argument. Which is that it only makes sense that if we are righteous, if we have been made right, if we have been born new of God, then we should in fact Act righteously. So to be very clear, we are born of God. Accordingly, we are righteous. We have been made right. And now we are being called to act like it. It's no coincidence that up to this point, John has largely encouraged followers of Jesus to allow his word, allow his truth, allow his self to abide in us. And now as he seeks to inform how we live, he encourages us to abide in him. It is God in us that makes us inherently righteous, and it is us stepping into God when we follow him in righteous living. It is always our identity that will inform our doing. And brothers and sisters, this greatly simplifies life for the Christian. All of God's commands, rather than a harsh scolding or a policeman's watchful eye, are instead a father calling us to be what we are calling out of us that which is not only what is best in us, but what is best for us. 
Let's keep reading. 1 John 3, 1 says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And the phrase, how great, or see what kind of love this Father has given to us, this great love that he's given to us, the concept that, that John is pulling on here is, is the concept of, of sort of an alien love, something that is unfamiliar, foreign. And so what, what John is doing in all of this is he's starting to recognize, or he's wanting for us to recognize, really the, the spectacular nature of what it is that, that God has given to us. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him, right? There's a sense of we don't know you. We don't understand you. And that's ultimately what Jesus was saying in John chapter 8, as we just read. You don't know who I am. You don't recognize me. I'm not of this system that you've created whereby your works are what sets you right before me. No, I am wholly different, wholly foreign. And it is this kind of love that John here is imploring us to see. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Keep reading. Beloved... We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, or maybe it's just me, But some of us reading that start going through the events of this last week and our our skin gets a little flush. What What does it say? No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Can't keep on sinning. He's been born of God. By, evident, by, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. I don't know about you, but I can count. Actually, I can't count. I don't have enough fingers. I, I, I think I would exhaust infinite numerical possibilities with the amount of times that I've fallen short or I've 
lived into that reality. I've not practiced righteousness. I have failed to love my brother. As recently as this morning. And so how does that, how do these two realities mash together? Marshall, you just told me that I am born of God, not because of my works, but because of what Jesus did on my behalf. And yet here we get to the middle of this chapter and the end of our text this morning, and it clearly says that if I am not righteous, then I am not of God. That if I have not loved my brother, then I am not born of God. And again, I can count, if I'm honest with myself, if I sort of shed the Christian veneer, if I sort of peel back the the fake smile that I brought in with me this morning, I know inside that I've, I've gone astray here. How do we rectify that tension? Where do we find our assurance? How can I know this morning that I am in fact born of God? Because it seems to be to me that that's very important to John. That we would not only see and know that we are born of God, but that we would find hope in that reality for all of the outside persecution and internal division that they are currently living through. I think the answer is actually, obviously, (laughs) uh, in the Scripture itself. The Scripture that we've just read um, here in chapter 3, and and what I really want us to do for the next few moments, we're going to talk at length next week about specifically what it means to walk in righteousness, right? Like, what it means to live rightly before God. What are we supposed to be doing What are we supposed to be committing ourselves to? What are those acts of righteousness? But right now, I just want us to understand that we can have hope in the tension between being born of God and yet recognizing that not all of our actions line up perfectly. In chapter 3, and I just kind of glazed over it really quickly because I really do want to land here. I want this to be where we conclude this morning. But in chapter 3, verse 2, I think we have the relief to that tension. Between what we do, the sin that we walk in, moment to moment, day to day, week to week, And the glorious reality that we are born of God. That we are His righteous ones. That we are, in fact, His beloved children. Verse 2 says this. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. 
And then verse 3, this is the kicker. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Man, it's, it's particularly wonderful um, that we have this many children in the room this morning. Not only because we're being called children as well, so in some ways we can look around and we can watch them and go, this is how God looks at me. But also because I think, to some degree, all of us share a latent anxiety with regard to our children. None of us can guarantee how any of these children will turn out. And there's an endless number of possibilities. There's an endless number of pitfalls in the road that if we could, we would pave over years in advance. But there's a degree of unknown there that we'll just never quite get away from. And that's, of course, obviously where we as Christian parents throw ourselves before the Lord and beg Him to be merciful and kind and to give us strength for whatever that road ahead might be. But it's different for God the Father. And it's different for us as His children. There is an assurance. There is a sure confidence that John is calling us to here, right? He says, beloved, we are God's children. And he says this, what we will be has not yet appeared. He's like, look, I don't know exactly what we will be. I can't answer all of these questions. But he says, I do know this. I do know. We do know. We can know this morning, brothers and sisters. We can know that when he appears, we will be like him. And so listen, for all the toil and all of the struggle and all the difficulty that comes along with living a righteous Christian life, that comes along with loving the brother and refraining from sin, stepping out of darkness into light, and all of what the rest of chapter 3 will call us into, particularly in loving one another, in all of that toil, in all of the struggle, in all of the failure, in all of the bruised knees and bent elbows, in all of the sweat and the tears, in all of that, we can know. We can know that we will be like him. And brothers and sisters, that's good news for a number of reasons. I personally grew up in a very fundamentalist upbringing, like literally independent fundamental Baptists. That was their their name. And for whatever reason grew up with an understanding of, of God and particularly God's commands, especially his command to be righteous, laden as that term is, as something terrifying, as something that would regularly produce shame in me, guilt.
And while perhaps that is to a degree appropriate, there is a greater reality in the knowledge that if we abide in him, we can have confidence and not shrink from him in shame. And in fact, his commands to be righteousness, again, they turn from this this overlord, this sort of weird, awful Santa, right, who's watching you while you're sleeping, knowing when you're awake, seeing if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake, right? He changes from that to a father who sees what you will be and is actively right now, in this moment, inviting you into it. Like that God sees this glorious picture of who you will be, the complete, full, true, glorious, wonderful version of you, and in calling you to righteousness is saying, step into that. Step into it now. We're getting there. We're on our way to that place. Come. And that is how, even in the call to righteousness, we can know that Jesus is also saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is the invitation of Jesus for us this morning, not only in knowing that we are born of him, but in his call to righteousness. And so as we discuss that next week, as we talk about what it, what it means to live righteously, don't let that image of him as father loving over you, calling you into the fullness of who he intends for you to be. All that sin has shrunk, he is bringing back to life in you. That is his invitation in the call to righteousness. Every command of Christ is an invitation to step into the new identity that he has already purchased for us, that is already our inheritance in Christ. My God, that is good news. It is this otherworldly love of God that loves us in our brokenness, that loves us in spite of our inability to care for or fix ourselves. It is this otherworldly, weird, strange, alien love of God that as children of God, as children of the resurrection, we are going to be called to put on display before our neighborhood. And I look forward to talking about that a whole lot more next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be gathered together again this morning. Thank you, God, that uh, even if we brought this, this morning, Lord, just a hot mess of everything that we are, Lord, you are in the business, and you are about the work even now of making us righteous. You are making us like your son Jesus, and Lord, the the steps might feel absurdly incremental, but God, we can know this morning
we can know this morning that we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And Lord, it is for everyone who thus hopes in him this morning that purification comes. As we hope in your gospel, as we hope in your righteousness, as we hope in the truth that we're made righteous by your works first. May we be purified and may we, may we go from here and may we turn aside from sinning. May we turn aside from that which is of the devil so that we might be truly your sons, your daughters. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.